again to another episode of Idiopod. I'm TJ Stone. And I am Destiny Love. And this is our third episode of season two with the comeback. And we're going to be talking about religion and religious systems versus spirituality. Destiny, when, mm-hmm. you, when I say that, what what gets going in your brain? Oh my goodness, so many things. So one interesting thing that I had to come to terms with is that I really did not know what religion was, you know, oh, and I'm still navigating a whole lot of it. Um, what is religious versus um, what is a God thing or spirituality, right? So I grew up in a family that was heavily into church, you know, Southern Baptist, missionary Baptist, Presbyterian. And I, I was in multiple settings. So I didn't really, I didn't understand it all. I knew I loved to go to church. I knew I love to read scripture. Like as I could, as I got older, I really loved scripture. I found myself just digging in, but for the rest of my journey, I went to multiple churches, multiple denominations. And I think by the time I was able to make my own decision, probably around high school, my mother was still like in a Baptist church and she really wanted me to go to this church. And I'm like, ah, uh, it doesn't fit. Like it, it just doesn't sit well. So I was driving. So I was able to drive myself to a non-denominational church. And I think that's what began to feel like this is more like um, home. It just felt more like home. But it's still, um, there were still things and there are still things with many churches, you know, even as I continue to visit that I question, I'm like, hold up, what is this? You know, so I don't, there's still so many new things as I dig in and as I explore, I don't know a whole lot about doctrine and, um, you know, what's the other word? Doctrine and something. Somebody asked me, yes, theology. Doctrine and theology, yeah, those are not my area of expertise. I know that I love scripture. I know that I love God. I know that I love following Jesus. Um, But everything else, I just began to kind of be frustrated with it and confused by it at times. And I've always been one to question Like, where did this come from? Why are we doing this? Where is this? You know, um, how does this push us closer to Jesus? Um, So ultimately, when I think about religion, I think about rules. I think about systems. I think about oppression. When I think about spirituality, I think about freedom and liberty and love. Yeah. Yeah. I said a whole mouthful. That was oh. a little bit of my journey. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that's all good stuff. So I, I assume you're still into the non-denominational sphere of things currently. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
and I have all, I'm a seeker, right? So you understand this. I like different churches. I like to visit different churches. I like to explore different faith systems um, or faith traditions or beliefs. That has not always been a thing that is, you know, been easy to talk about in some of the circles that I'm in. Um, but I love it. I love all things God. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think definitely when I, the first non-denominational church that I was regularly attending is the church that I'm still currently at. It's called Journey, which is apropos. Okay. Because, it, you know, the whole, uh, the whole presupposition is, is that we are all on different parts of our journey, but we're all on essentially the same spiritual journey. Uh, it's nice. just, it's just my path is not going to look like your path. And, you know, there's different stages to our, our journeys that kind of parallel each other, but are also unique. And so the idea is to come along each other and journey together wherever we are, because that's yeah. how, how the body of Christ really manifests itself best is when we're all at different points in our own journeys, learning from each other, helping each other and coming together as, as one. Mm. Ultimately. Yeah. That's the perfect, that's the perfect picture right there. That just makes me feel good. Like I want, Oh, I want all of that. Yeah. I mean, it gets messy. I mean, I think they're, yes, I think they, a while back had kind of polled people to see kind of what the traditions that they were coming from were and different denominations. And I think they had like 50 to 60 different denominational backgrounds that are represented in our our church. TJ, like that alone, like how that like makes my head like, uh, I kind of, I kind of, I can't even wrap my mind around it. Yeah. I mean, I've never been in a place like it and it, you know, it's difficult. Community is not any easier. Teaching is not any easier. I don't always agree a hundred percent with everything that's said from the pulpit. We have three or four different teaching pastors, you know, but. Oh, wait. So you were saying in your church. Yeah. In my, in our church. Wow. Yeah, it's not, just, it's not just one thing. Well, some of that is in response to the fact that the church was initially founded by a very charismatic, sort of draw you in, definitely heart of a storyteller type guy. And he was trying to, to build out a teaching team, but he still did three quarters of all the teaching. Okay. Um, but he left. And that left a big gap to fill. And the best way to fill that was with multiple voices of which he had already seeded, you know, the beginnings of, and we do have one pastor that we, we brought back well on board just a little over a year ago as the teaching pastor, but still it's a lot more shared uh, between our spiritual formations, pastor, our executive pastor, and our teaching pastor. And then occasionally oh we'll gosh. have, we'll have, uh, uh, kind of the guy who's he's had multiple roles, but is kind of the worship pastor. Now he'll, he'll do like special events, uh, and usually involve kids and stuff with them and, and he'll teach those 
family friendly services, I guess is what they called. Usually makes I a lot already... of poop jokes and that kind of stuff that will play to the little kids. Or children. Yes. Right. <laughs> but that already sounds, I, that to me sounds like the unity in diversity that I absolutely love and crave and just desire so much of. I can imagine like, so they sit around a table like the teaching team. Uh, they have yeah weekly weekly meetings and then they cast vision on what the different series they're going to teach on are and then they divvy up the topics and you know different ones have different strengths and different things and then they decide who's teaching what when and you know that's oh how God. they plan oh their gosh. whole year that way. I think I want to be on a teaching team. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I can imagine that it's a really holistic approach. Um, that sounds phenomenal. But but like I said, I mean they they disagree with each other sometimes, and then of they course. have to come to what the common ground is. And you know, it's not easy. I mean, and in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier when you're talking into an echo chamber when everybody has the same background. If everybody's Baptist, we're talking Baptist talk. We have our speak. We have our doctrine, our theology, our foundational statements. And we can talk to you in that system because we've all been brought up in that system and we know the language. Uh, If we were to talk that way from the pulpit in a church like this, you know, you would alienate the majority of people. And even some people who are coming from that background, they're in a non-denominational church because they don't want to be steeped in that doctrine anymore. They want an alternative. They want something refreshing, but still rings of truth. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's what so many people are wanting right now, but they, they either, don't know how to articulate it or they haven't been shown enough of, of an alternative to even know yeah. that's what they want. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know um, it is absolutely what I desire. And I can just imagine coming out of this year of, you know, churches being closed down and people really, um, I'll say journeying and growing in their faith in different ways. I could just imagine that's what everybody is like. Yeah. I need more of this and none of this. Like I know for me, the rules and the systems, I've just never been one of those individuals that have to live by these particular rules. Does that mean that I have like, been completely rebellious. No, like I did very good in school and, you know, I knew how to follow rules and to, um, make good choices, but I've always been one to just question and ask the hard question. And I'm not just going to do anything because somebody tells me to do it, you know, it's, which has, you know, caused some, some challenges in my home, right. As I was, as I was coming up, but I really wanted, I still ask the why. Right. That's something that I've always done. I've even been told to stop doing that. Like, don't you question God, you know, and it's like, yeah, I think God is like, yeah, ask me whatever you want. And so I ask him whatever I want. 
and God answers. It's not always the response that I want or that I desire, but he is not like overwhelmed by my questions. And I'm thankful because I ask a lot of them. And I, I think that's good. I think, I think we should cultivate that more in kids um, coming up, especially in our yeah. religious systems, because you're not going to have a faith that is your own and that you can own for yourself until you start to ask some of the big questions and uh, come to rest in some form of answer that, that, that you can sit with and be okay with. I mean, most answers are going to, at the end of the day, be more open-handed than than what we actually want them to be. And I think, I think that's why so many people go to these doctrine systems that have a more closed system because it's easier to understand. It feels safer in a lot of ways, and it helps us construct an identity and a relationship and an understanding of God and spirituality that, that you can put in a nice little package. And that's all some people want or can, can tolerate, <laughs> you know, they, they can't have, absolutely they can't have too, too much openness because then the world, then the world just falls apart. You know, it's like, okay. yes, yeah, it's, it's scary. Yeah. You it know, is. it's scary. I like this place of life that I'm in. I continue to call it the ocean, you know, but the ocean is beautiful. Like there are so many beautiful aspects of, of the ocean, but like, it does not take away the fact that it is like super scary, you know? So I, I I completely empathize. I think that is just part of the human experience that we want to hold on to something. We want to hold on to something. We want to know. We want to feel safe. We want to, even if we say we don't, it's like somewhere we want to be in a box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you might change the shape or the dimensions of that box and the location yep. of that box and who's in the box with you. But uh, we, we, I, the the human mind and heart wants to create systems to yeah and and meaning i mean i mean that that is the human experience is the search for meaning and creation of meaning and that's how we understand the world around us um and i think um that's why we construct these systems and that's why i like your analogy of the ocean so much is because you know, the deepest depths of the ocean, man has never even seen, and it would kill us to go down there. And people have to train and get in these deep diving outfits and these submarines and cated, they have to gradually depressurize or else they would explode. And even doing all of that with all the precautions, being master divers, all these things, we still can't go all the way to the bottom because it would kill us. Right. We don't have the depth and there's so many mysterious things down there. Even when we send cameras further than what we can go, we, there's species. We don't know the names of we're all the time yes. discovering new things. It, the ocean is just as mysterious as, as the space and the stars. Absolutely. And that's why I love that analogy because it, it encompasses a necessity for mystery and for, mm-hmm. If, if you want to go deeper, you can, 
but you got to gradually do it and prepare yourself as you go. And there will always be a deep well of extra that you don't know. And you, we have to be okay with that. And even as you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that sounds so scary, but like, oh my gosh, I'm so curious. That sounds so exciting. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, Supposedly, it's like the in the deepest depths of the ocean, it's like the darkest place you can possibly get because Absolutely. it's total absence of sunlight. Yep. Even more than space, because in space, you got stars and the sun. And yep. So that's that's Absolutely. fascinating. Let me ask you this. I, I haven't. This is so random. But if like the ocean is like spirituality or spiritual growth. What would you say an illustration of religion or a religious system would be? Hmm. Like what image? Well, I hate to be to, to denigrate religious systems because I think we have brothers and sisters from all denominations mm-hmm. uh, that that are part of the body. But I do think the spiritual growth journey, it is almost equating the ocean to a kiddie pool. Okay. And, and sometimes we can expand that pool. It can be a really nice resort pool. It can be heated mm-hmm. and jetted. And, you know, you got the deep end you can mm-hmm. dive into when you want to. You can even have your diving boards and you can have the kiddie side when you don't want to go deep. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think it's more like a pool that, that we start small and then we can gradually until we reach the barriers of our comfort, we can build it out to what whatever the dimensions are. But it's still just a expression of the reality. Right. Because we're, we're right. manufacturing the pH balance, the chemicals to keep it looking like it's real water. Right. And it's not gross and you know, giving us disease with algae and all kinds of stuff. And we'd actually want to be in it, but the ocean is just all of it, you know, and it can't be contained by a pool. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. So tell me, you asked the question, when you hear the two terms, what comes up for you? Well, when I think religion, I don't consider anything that I do or believe religion anymore. I consider a lot of what I grew up with and a lot of what helped me construct my identity, some of it helpful, mm-hmm. some of it not, to be religion, religious systems. I think yeah. when I think religion, I think rules, I think boundaries, I think of human made constructs that are a finite lens to put on the infinite, the divine. Mm. And I think this, the spirituality in that side is learning to strip away our finite human lenses and just be with the divine and gradually dissipate the barriers, the boundaries, the little pools we set up for ourselves. And yeah. when we do that, we're going to knock up against other people who are doing that too. And that challenge, you know, what, what's, what is becoming our systems and our, I mean, we're constantly, even as we're letting go, we're reconstructing, we're reconstructing systems and meaning for ourselves. They look different, they look looser, but they're still systems. 
I don't think there's any life without systems. I think, you know, the ultimate journey is, is trying to get closer to just being with God, being love, Mm -hmm. showing love to others. And I don't know any human can perfectly do that hundred percent of the time. Right. So I think that's why it's, it's, it's always a journey. It's about the journey, not the destination. Cause I, I don't know that we ever arrive a hundred percent at a destination. It's, it's all about the journey. So a little bit about my background. I grew up uh, initially in something called the church of God of prophecy, which unless you've been in it, you've never heard of it. And you can only equate it to church of God, which is kind of the light version. It's like, you know, when you get an app and you got the light version, that's one or two levels or whatever. Yes. And then you can't do the things you want to do with it until you pay 999 or whatever. It's like church God prophecy was the paid app and it had all the things. And then church God light was like, yeah, we don't want all the things we want. Yes. An expression of this. And that was easier to sell to more people, I think. But and that's what you were born into, the I was Church born of into God that of prophecy. Yes, very okay. Pentecostal, uh, very much uh, focused on spiritual gifts, uh, specifically uh, the gift of tongues was yeah. was a big focus. A lot of people just want to stay with that. And honestly, a lot of that was preached that that was the only expression of the Holy Spirit and what they called the Holy Ghost, which, you know, scared, right. me, scared me as a child because I was scared of ghosts. So how could I not be scared of a Holy Ghost? Holy seemed, ghost. seemed like a, a oxymoron. Like, yeah. how can ghosts be holy? That kind of thing like that. Yeah. You know, and that's a lot about language. Language tripped me up a lot as a kid. Absolutely. And, and the idea of being reborn and all that kind of idea. A lot of that language doesn't compute as a kid. It's scary. But, you know, what I found as I got older was a lot of that, that religious system, that religiosity that, that felt a little gross was because it was just man-made expressions yes. of what they thought God wanted us to do and be like. Based on some people's interpretations that got together and said, we're going to do this. And then people get raised in that. And that's all they know. You know, it only takes one generation to totally influence a whole community and bring up a whole, you know, generations up and in a certain system. Mm -hmm. All it takes is somebody teaching. And then you're, you're, you're going to pass on what you were taught unless you change your thinking which I think is the spiritual path. So a lot of the legalistic stuff I talk about is like uh, in our traditions, even as we moved into some of the more church of God stuff, Uh women couldn't wear pants. That was a thing. Right. An abomination of God. I don't know if you go to hell or not. I've had an experience with that. Couldn't wear pants. So I grew up, you know, with my mom wearing the long blue jean jumpers. Women couldn't have short hair. Uh, they had, so they all had long hair. You could always, and we called them holiness, holiness people or not holiness people. Okay. And, and that was almost like shorthand for their Pentecostal or not, or their church of God or assemblies of God or something like that. As if the women had long hair and dresses, 
you know, they were like a degree or two removed from like Mennonites and Amish. They're still living yes. more in the world, but trying actively not to look like the world. Um, and that's all just. And it was all classified as holiness. Yeah, that's that was the terminology that that. Okay, and, I've and, heard of holiness. Yeah, so which which obviously creates in us and them mentality of like, well, if this is what it means to display holiness, that means everybody who isn't is not holy. Absolutely. And we, we have to be in the world, but not of the world. So we're showing that we're not of the world by not looking like the world, not talking like the world. And, and let me ask you this. So I don't know a whole lot about it. Cause that hasn't been, I haven't been immersed in that culture, only like experiencing it here and there. But it seems very fear-based. Am I just, is that just my perception because I'm on the outside or? I, I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, that's, okay. it's these type of, uh, it's these type of preachers and, and systems that, you know, create that fire and brimstone hurling mentality of like, we're yes. going to scare you into heaven by scaring you know, essentially the hell out of you, <laughs> you right? because right. we're going to scare you with the alternative, which I've found, you know, the older I get, the more people I've known who have had that experience is they can have a quote unquote conversion experience and then totally leave the faith altogether. Once they realize that they were just scared into a thing and they didn't actually have a relationship with God or Absolutely. actually believe the things they just didn't want to go to hell. And I, and I, I experienced a lot of the fear stuff, but it's just never, it has just never worked for me. Like I'm not that individual that gets very afraid of things, especially not if, if some fear is coming, I want to sort through it and like move on. I don't want to make a decision out of fear. Like my parents even knew like, when, de- when coming up with consequences and things like that, like, don't try to scare me. Let's just, okay, what are my consequences? Let's talk through it. What is the expectation? What do you want me to do? You don't have to do all that because it's like, it's not effective. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, really what it is, is, is when pastors and preachers are shepherding a flock of God's children in this way, mm-hmm. it's really, I think, and a lot of them do not intend it this way because they're just passing down the traditions that were passed on to them. And that's all. They Absolutely. Know. But I think it, it can be spiritually abusive parenting to their flock. And I think yeah. that trickles into the way that the people in the flock parent their kids. It, it becomes very spiritually abusive or it can. I hold that there can be people who can do it better than others. But I, I think when yeah, you have yeah. a system that's based in fear, it's hard not to instill fear in the people Absolutely. That you're, you're shepherding. And I will like, of course I do. I don't want it to be like, oh, this is some condemnation or guilt, or even if the, even if that's something that has happened, or even if it's somebody that's listening and that's what you're engaged in or have been, because I also see how most times it is really unintentional. Like I have 
people have shared things with me. And I want to believe in my heart of hearts that it is from a great place, right? To help me. But it was all the, you better not, you know? And it was so much fear. Like it doesn't resonate well. It doesn't align. So of course I don't like, I may even just like move away from the relationship just depending on what it is. But I do believe that it's unintentional. Like when a person believes that they are doing something for the right reason, I think that's when it gets becomes the most challenging because it's hard. And I know that I've been in that place. I've wanted to be helpful and, you know, do something from the bottom of my heart. And it was still harmful and it was still hurtful. That's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That is hard. I think. I think usually when people are very kind of come off abrasive with this, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. It is usually from a loving place. It's just, they're offering you all that they've been given and all that they have. And if they honestly think that you're doing something that is going to not end well for you or possibly end you up in hell, you know, the most loving thing they can do is say whatever the prescribed thing or do whatever the thing is they can do to help you not get there. And that is Absolutely. a version of love. That's that's loving from their perspective. I mean, all we have are the lenses that we've been given. Right, right. And for me, um, my goodness, I believe that very thing right there is what like literally drives me to my knees. You know, it will, when I sit with that very concept of we are doing either what has been done with to us, what we know, um, just through our own lens and our perspective, oh my goodness, that alone just makes me want to just bawl. You yeah. know, it's challenging. That is, but that is part of this human experience of, oh my goodness, God, every single day, my desire is to, is to be and to show love and to reveal who you are. But then we have all this stuff, Ugh, all the stuff. Yeah. I did. Have, I have a question for you. Okay. Shoot. So that was like your first experience, right? Was there like a transformational something that happened and you were like, oh my gosh, this doesn't fit or no, this is not, or no, I'm, I'm moving away from this. If so, what did you, what did you hope? What do you continue to hold on to? Right. Cause I'm, I'm sure there were some nuggets of truth. Yeah. And then what did you have to just completely say? That's a no. That's, that's y'all stuff. And it's a no for me. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the, um, was what I experienced in, in a lot of these, um, like really, I mean, I grew up in what I call the deep South of South Carolina and, you know, most pastors and preachers for the most part, and, and the denominations I come up in were just people who come up in it and said, I think I'm called to preach. 
They didn't Absolutely. go to seminary and get, you know, masters or PhDs in divinity or spiritual formation or any of those yeah. things. So all they had was their limited lens of the Bible that had been taught to them by other people that had the same lens without, and it was all from one perspective. They, they, they did not allow, in fact, it was considered, you know, a bad thing to do and, and possibly being fooled by the enemy to, to accept other ideologies and doctrine into even, you know, accepting that it could also be true or could be true in some way, because then it, it starts to crumble, you know, your own Absolutely. And so I, I just started this from a very young age. I, I couldn't put my finger on it because I didn't have an alternative. I mean, I maybe went once or twice to my friend's Southern Baptist church because almost all the churches around us and everyone I grew up with were Southern Baptists. We were the, okay some of the only Pentecostals I know. And so that was kind of a situation I kind of felt othered in and not fully safe to share uh, what my spiritual traditions were. And I, I honestly didn't understand a lot of it. You know, uh, they used to do something called a Jericho March when I was a little kid mm -hmm. where they would, they would, you know, usually be getting up and speaking in tongues and, and just marching around the whole circumference of, of the sanctuary. Right. And I used to be terrified because, you know, I knew when you did that so many times in the Bible, the building falls down or the walls, yes. fall down. you know, I'm like, are y'all sure y'all won't be doing this? You know, exactly. And a lot of it, what I found was a lot of it was just edifying that, that spiritual self with, with yes. the expressions that made people feel good. And they had to get that hit yes. of dope, that dopamine hit. They had to get that adrenaline. They had to, it felt good to just be in the spirit, whether you were learning, you know, things about God or deepening your relationship with God or not, it become this, this salve, this, this medicine Mm -hmm. that that people had to put on you know once or twice a week i mean growing up we went sunday morning sunday night and wednesday night that was just Absolutely. the rhythms if the doors were open you were there and you had to keep getting getting that that hit and a lot of services i mean and, and these these denominations and, and churches that i grew up in a lot of these services you know they would just totally abandon the message might have yes. been a, it might have been a great message somebody needed to hear but if if the singing and and yes. the music got into it and people were feeling good they just make the whole thing that you would bet have a good time and and have altar call for an hour you know because that was the move of the spirit that was the move of the spirit right yeah and that's that's people got more and, and, and you can do this with anything, you know, Tim Keller says the human heart's an idol factory. Uh, yeah. our natural intention is to take any expression, whether it's God or of God or not, yeah. and make that the thing, make that the idol, make that the focus of our attention. What I found in pretty much all the Pentecostal churches that I grew up in is they put 
the movement of the spirit, the speaking in tongues, the enjoying the, the music, the laying out in the spirit, all that mm-hmm. stuff. They made that the idol and the purpose and intention of church. What the message, the music, right. everything they did was to get to that because people wanted that. If they didn't get that by the end of it, they felt like we did something wrong. We need a revival. We'll, we'll, we'll yes. do a week or two of revival uh, until you know we can make sure that that's where we can stay. And I and then you weren't you didn't even because I was told that if I did not speak in tongues, then I was I had not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So did you guys have to like sit at the altar and what is it called? Um, where you just have to keep sitting there until you actually speak in tongues. Somebody told me this. I I know lots tarrying. of people that have done that. Yeah. Tearing on the Lord. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know many people that have done that. I never felt, I, I felt like if there was, there was such a strong calling of the spirit in me and, and, and pulling me. As, as much as I sought after God, I felt like if something was going to take over my body and, and I was always open to it, you know, yeah, God, if you want to do this thing and it's, it's let's a do mean, it meaningful thing, I'm here. I'm not going to initiate it out of some sort of like, you know, social, psychological, hypnotic something. trance that that this whole service is designed to put me in to make me think it's you i'm it's gonna have to be you i'm open to it and it's 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 never personally happened for me i hold yeah. open that it could um and and that's that's the weird thing i wrestle with now because as a kid i usually felt dirty and like weird and like something was off and most of the churches that i grew up in when, whenever the tongues would, and I actually could like cue up the band who, who the people were going to be. I even learned the, the sort of gibberish type sounds that they were making. And I, I could even uh-huh. re- repeat them. Like I knew the things uh-huh. I know what it meant, if it meant anything, but I, I knew certain things, even certain words people would say would from the pulpit would initiate the certain songs would always, and that's why they played the same wow. songs. And it's like, once you can kind of cue it up, it starts to sound, seem like it's this social engineering. Like we're all in this place. We're all getting the same um, Mm -hmm. messaging. Like this is the, this is the thing. This is what it means to be holy. This is kind of, you got people modeling. This is what it sounds like. This is what it looks like. And at a certain point, you feel like the the other, if you're not jumping in and doing the thing. Absolutely. But there's always been something in me that truth seeker, semi-skeptic, whatever piece of me is like, God, I'm open if this is a thing and this is something you want to bless me with, but I'm not going to be manipulated by a pastor, a preacher, or a bunch of people that, that are just parroting. And I felt like a lot of it was not legitimate. Uh, just in my spirit. And then as what I got you... older, I went to mm-hmm. totally different, like we moved to Portland, Oregon for a year and went to a four square church, a different type of Pentecostal ministry that looks totally different. And they taught about the gifts as not being just for show, but actually 
as a way to connect with God. And pastor's wife would, I mean, I was, I was on staff. I wasn't paid on staff, but I mean, okay. I had an email. I was on the Christmas card and I went to all the meetings. Um, and like the pastor's wife and several other people, you know, that was a gift that they had. And they would ask you before, is it okay if I pray over you in tongues? Yes. I would say yes. And it was a totally different vibe. It was mm-hmm. a sweet spirit. It felt, it felt legitimate. Yeah. And that totally wrecked because at that point in time, I was like, I think this is just social engineering and people yeah. not yeah. knowing any better. Because and that's it what always I was felt gross ask to you. me. And these legalistic churches, it always felt gross to me. I hold now that it could, some of it be real and some of it be social engineering. Cause I know for a fact, like my cousin, he had one of those experiences like you, you talked about. And I know multiple other people that did where they were just pressured into, you're going to be here until you say something that sounds like the Holy spirit does. Absolutely. And I just refused to do that because that did not feel authentic. That did not feel like a real yeah rejuvenating spiritual experience aha moment for some of those no people way. it did at the moment because they got themselves all riled up into that and then you know after the fact when they kind of deconstruct a little bit they realize oh i think i was just manipulated into doing this thing and never really actually had that awakening that spiritual gift mm-hmm. i think i was just and some some churches will even teach you to to recite phrases and, and gibberish words, and they'll teach you how to speak in tongues. This is wow. legit. This is legitimate. And, and it's like you, you practice it until it actually just starts to automatically happen. And that's, I mean, from what I know of psychology, that's just in, that's imprinting thoughts. That's, <laughs> that's hypnotizing yourself to express yourself in a certain way because you're in a setting that is doing this. It's the same way that people hypnotize uh, people at the county fairs to do silly things and, you know, bark like mm-hmm. a dog and walk like a chicken at the same time. They want Let to me do ask it. You. They want to do it. They have mm-hmm. to want to do it, but they're in a setting where it's safe to do it. They're trusting the person. And so it happens. Tell me, is there anything that you did take with you? from that time, space, experience um, that was beneficial to your journey? Well, yes. I mean, I learned a lot about God. I mm-hmm. read the Bible cover to cover. Um, part of that was because my grandmother uh, bribed me with money if I did it and could prove that I did, oh. which is always nice. I mean, it did. Uh, it did make me actually try and digest the word of course we only this was another thing in our traditions we only read the king james version of the bible which to an to an eight or ten year old you know it reads like shakespeare and it's it's like what does any of this even mean you know but you, you can read between the lines of the stories and all that stuff and you know i think it is foundational and transformational to have a you know, to really believe the stories of the Bible and specifically of Jesus and, and his ministry and the things that he did. And, um, you know, some of the key figures in the Bible, Moses, Noah, Jonah, you know, they're all flawed humans yeah. that have 
a spiritual awakening experience with God and are forever changed and, Mm. and are shown in multiple ways, no matter how far they run, no matter how bad they mess up, that they are still in God's will. He has a plan for their lives and he's there for them. Even when it all goes to crap, he's there for them. And I think, I think the foundations of that was what I, I leaned into. And the fact that, you know, my mom always taught me that I could pray to God anytime, anywhere yep. about anything. And I could tell him anything. And often he was the only one that felt safe enough uh, to tell anything Absolutely, to and was always there. All and of so, our, yeah. And so I, I feel I like that, that is still the, go ahead. Well, I was just, I mean, I, that is ultimately what was the linchpin to me was when you grow up doing that you do build this relational conversational relationship with God. And absolutely. You, you can't deny that at a certain point. Yeah. And I, my prayer is that I live in that place. <laughs> that is still very much how I like to look at the lens of the Bible. And another thing that I remind myself It came up when we first started this conversation and um, I didn't share it, but just how those that were following Jesus didn't necessarily agree with each other. You know what I mean? Like that to me is just a, it's a quick reminder. Hey, destiny, we are all following him, but that does not mean that we are going to agree or that we even have to, we don't have to. I think that's the beautiful part about, um, unity and what Jesus Christ does, you know? So, yay. This has been a great, great chat. Very rich. And just a couple closing thoughts before we, before we head out for this episode is, you know, I don't want this to come off as like Pentecostal bashing or like spiritual gift bash. I, I, at the place I am at now, I believe that spiritual gifts did not stop after the first century, after the times of Jesus. I believe they are alive and active now. I Absolutely. believe some traditions teach how, how to use them better than others. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people use the gifts to edify the flesh more than the spirit. Uh, but I also hold that I've, I've now experienced a lot of people who are stepping into spiritual gifts in a totally different transformational way. And, you know, there are spiritual gifts that I have. I don't yes. necessarily think that you have to be, I don't think that speaking in tongues specifically is the only evidence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I feel like God is intentionally not giving me that gift just so I can be, (laughs) I can be the proof and the, (laughs) I can be the projector of that into the world to say that, Hey, you know, I grew up in this tradition that taught this, but actually there are a lot of fruits of the spirit. There are a lot of spiritual gifts. And, you know, the reason we are a body is not everybody has everything. Absolutely. And to single out one over another and say, that's the only evidence if you have the Holy Spirit, I think it's terribly spiritual, spiritually abusive. Um, And I like that you said that you can hold it 
hold them both loosely, right? Just because um, even thinking about journeying, right? Just because one person has an experience and it's not another person it, person's experience, it doesn't mean that it's not true. It doesn't mean that it's real to them and just anything that's even bad or negative or whatever. It's just not ours. So I love that you shared how you hold it loosely. Yeah, it hasn't happened for me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it hasn't happened for somebody else. I, I've seen and enough that's kinda, evidence and I felt, I mean, me you, too. you feel you, when, when you are in the presence of a divine spiritual thing that is happening, absolutely, your spirit inside of you will like a compass or, or, you know, something that goes off and beeps. I don't know. It, it will let yep. you know. Uh, and I've experienced that enough times to know that, you know, these things do exist and that they can be used well. And it takes spiritual maturity to, to, to learn how to do that. And I've experienced great, there, there are great and wonderful traditions in most every denomination for the most part. I agree. And I think, I think the, the, the journey for the big C church going forward is to figure out how to break down the barriers and, and the, the things that we're saying we're holding on to, and this is our, our end all hills yes. to die on and learn from each other and the traditions. There are beautiful things about Catholic traditions. There are beautiful things about Presbyterian yeah. and Baptist traditions and all these things. And we but if can you learn take a from all of it. But if you take a beautiful thing and beat it over somebody's head, it's no longer beautiful. You know, like That's true. Let's just let's take the beautiful things, let's share the beautiful things, hold it very open-handed, you know, and not um, like you said, become spiritually abusive. Absolutely. Yeah. We can take anything awesome. that's a piece of art and make it a weapon. Hello. Yeah. This was good. Thank you so much, TJ, for your vulnerability, for sharing your life and your journey. Yeah, thank I, you for, for your I do. sharing. I appreciate too. it. I appreciate you, Destiny. And this has been another episode of Idiopod. For all things Idiopod, check us out, idiopod.com. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Until next time. Yes, and join the conversation. We want to hear from you. If you have questions, if you have comments, just even what came up, if you have thoughts about this topic, let us know. Have a great one. Absolutely. Join the conversation, idiopod.com.